Well, good morning again. It's good to see everybody. It's nice to see the sun shining rather brightly and strongly today. I have a big mound of snow out in front of our house that is almost finished melting, so I guess it's not a huge mound of snow. But every day I look outside and I think someday we will be able to park in that spot again. It's where we dumped all the snow last week when it was all coming down, and, and uh, I think uh, our life will just be easier when it all melts. I'm, so I'm one of those people that enjoys the spring. I know some of you enjoy the winter. I can't wait for the spring weather to come. We've been working our way through the book of Jeremiah over the past few months, and um, I'm sure that it's been, uh, you know, as we've been looking at this content, I'm certain that there are sections that... Um, have piqued your interest. I know there's certainly things here in this book that have piqued my interest. It's not the kind of book that typically gets spoken from. It may, from time to time, get referenced, uh, just kind of like in a, in you know a uh, a quote here or a quote there. But it's not something I I typically hear spoken from at length. And I'll admit that this is the first. So in 20 years that I've been uh, pastoring, this is the first time that I have spoken through. Uh, the book of Jeremiah in series form. And as we've been working our way through it, what you see, particularly in the early chapters, you can see a lot of heavy things and a lot of confrontational language and a lot of issues that were present among the people of Judah that the Lord was directly confronting through Jeremiah and through his preaching. And when you're reading through the book of Jeremiah, um, it, it could be easy to start seeing that as kind of the repeating pattern that shows up in the book. But now, over the past few weeks, we've started to notice that the Lord is showing us the outcome of some of these things and the development of faith that He wants His people to go through and the blessings that He has in store for His people long term. And we saw that when we were looking through Jeremiah 29. We saw that last week when we were looking through Jeremiah 31, which speaks of the new covenant. Uh, and we'll see that again here this week uh, as we're in Jeremiah chapter 33. And again, one of the big things that we'll be asking today as we take a look at this passage is this question, can you see what the Lord is about to do? Because in a portion of Scripture like this, He reveals to us things that He's about to do that we wouldn't have known otherwise. So if you would take your Bibles and open up to Jeremiah chapter 33, we'll be looking at verse 1 down to verse 9 together today. Jeremiah 33, starting with verse 1. And this is what it says in the passage here. It says this, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Call to me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. For I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing. And I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. 
I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. Let's pray. Lord, as we take a look at this portion of your word today, we pray that you would speak to our minds and speak to our hearts, that the power of your Holy Spirit would prevail during our time together today. Lord, we're grateful that by your grace we have the privilege to carve out this time at the start of our week, gathering together here in this building with family and with friends, worshiping you together in our singing, in our praying, in our giving, in our serving, in our studying of your word. Lord, this is a privilege to be able to begin our week this way, and so we're grateful for it. And Lord, as we look at this portion of Scripture now, we just pray that you would fill us with your insight. We pray that we would see how this portion of Scripture that was written quite a long time ago has direct application and direct meaning for our lives right now, and that we would glorify you as we put these principles into practice. Lord, we're just grateful for the privilege to be able to look at this together now. We commit our time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, So maybe some of you saw this already because I I posted a a few things about this online. But last Sunday, right after uh, we were finished here at church, I uh, got my family and we had lunch together and then we got on the road and we went someplace. And I had told them months in advance to carve out those days. So the second part of last Sunday and then Monday and Tuesday of this week, I told them, block off those days because I knew that some of our kids had uh, time off from school. I also knew uh, that that coincided with a time that would work a little bit better with my wife's work for us to take off. And I said, listen, we're going to spend basically two and a half days doing something. I'm just not going to tell you what it is. And it kind of drove my family crazy for a little while, um, wondering what this thing was that we were about to do, but I didn't tell them. And last Sunday after church, as we drove, I drove them down to the Chesapeake Bay, and, down in Maryland, and uh, where we rented a log cabin. And uh, the place was really neat. And, and again, my, like I don't know if you if you like being in wooded or watery areas like that. I'm not really a beach person, but I love settings like that where you're you're by like a lake or a bay, uh, a wooded setting, a log cabin setting. And I thought that that would be something extremely enjoyable. So we rented this log cabin. And in addition to it being in just a beautiful setting, one of my favorite aspects about renting this log cabin was that it was extremely cheap to do so. Um, In fact, it was less expensive than renting a normal, basic hotel room, which kind of shocked me how affordable it was. And on the property, we had access to all sorts of stuff. But the last day that we were there, uh, the weather was really cold. And you know how when you're out in the parking lot here, because the fields are right there, sometimes you feel like you're going to get blown away? Like some of you really get a good cardio workout just trying to walk into this building when it's windy outside. So we, re- we appreciate the extra effort that it takes to fight those winds. Well, we were on the bay there, and in, in fact, the last day that we were there, so Tuesday, the last day that we were there, it was extremely windy, and because it was extremely windy and the water's just whip, or, you know, the wind's just whipping off the water, it was very cold, so obviously we weren't going to be outside at all. So we decided we're going to stay inside, and we brought some board games with us, one of which was Monopoly. And uh, I love playing Monopoly. I don't know if any of you enjoy playing that. That was a favorite 
uh, of my family when I was growing up. It's certainly a favorite of my family now. But we're sitting inside, we're playing Monopoly together, and um, I'd like to be able to tell you that I won. But that would be a lie, because my son Daniel dominated the game. And at one point in the game, as I'm looking around at all of us paupers, right? All of us people that have, like, no money and no significant property, and Daniel's stack is growing and growing, and his property is increasing and increasing. I'm thinking, I do not want to land on his property, because I'm going to absolutely go bankrupt if I do. And then, of course, I landed on his property. And I had some money left, but not much. And I looked at him, and I didn't want him to see how much money I had. And I tried to do something psychological. And I said, Daniel, I said, I'd like to make a deal with you. And he goes, no, I don't want to make a deal. I just want to bankrupt you. He's like, I want to end this. And I I, I said, well, I said, no, I I, I said, let me talk this out with you. But he wasn't interested in making a deal. And so finally I was like, all right, you see what I'm about to do then, right? And he looks at me like, wait, hold on a second. And I said, you see, you can see what I'm about to do, can't you? And again, he looks at me and he's like, no, I'm not falling for this, Dad. This is a psychological trick. You're trying to trick me with psychology. And the truth is, he was right. I, I, uh, my only option at that point was I had to make deals with my fa- other family members. And it worked out and I was able to pay him. But at the same time, he dominated the game and he won it. But I bring that out. Because I was thinking about that this week, when we look at a portion of scripture like this, you know, I was saying to him, you could see what I'm about to do, right? And he's kind of scratching his head and he's looking. But when we look at a portion of scripture like this, what's the Lord doing? The Lord's saying, you can see what I'm about to do. And in fact, what he says is like, this specifically is what I'm about to do for the people of Judah, for the people living in Jerusalem. He's saying, this is a foregone conclusion because I have declared it so. I am about to show you what I am about to do on behalf of my people. That's what the Lord was saying through the prophet Jeremiah to the people of Judah who are in a little bit of a difficult bind at the moment. And to be able to hear what the Lord's saying in a moment like that and to actually act on it requires faith. But faith like that isn't something you can just conjure up. It actually needs to be faith that's actually empowered by the Lord and guided by the Lord and given its strength by the Lord. And when we look at this portion of Scripture, the Lord starts to show these things to them. And as he's showing these things about what he's about to do to them, and we see this all throughout the chapter, even in the verses beyond what we just read, there are some principles that are useful for us to begin adopting. And one of the things is we kind of live with with this expectation or with this faith about the Lord fulfilling the promises that he's made, One of the things that we could adopt from this, and I want to reread these verses, is this. Don't hesitate to call out to the Lord. In the midst of us trusting Him by faith for what He's promised to do, don't hesitate to call out to Him. Look again at the the counsel that the Lord gives us in the first few verses. It says this in verse 1. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord, is, the Lord is His name. And He says, call to Me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. He says, call to Me, and I will answer you, and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. Now, let's pause there for just a second. Let me say this. 
There will be, and I'm certain that you've experienced this already, but there will be many instances over the course of your life where it will be much, um, much more difficult for you to tell the truth than it will be to tell a lie. There are a lot of circumstances that you'll face and circumstances that I'll face that make it much easier to just lie than to tell the truth. But Jeremiah was someone who told the truth, even when it was difficult. During the course of his ministry, um, Jeremiah was somebody who was compelled to tell the truth, even when it was very difficult. He would faithfully and he would accurately communicate the messages that God gave him, even when there would be personal consequences that he would experience for communicating those messages. And oftentimes what happened was when he would communicate what the Lord had revealed to him, he would end up upsetting or angering very powerful people, including the king. And because Jeremiah, again, continued to tell the truth, he continued to reveal what the Lord revealed to him, specifically that the city of Jerusalem was about to be besieged, that the people were going to be taken captive, and that Zedekiah, the king, would also be captured, You have the king looking at this whole circumstance and hearing the preaching of Jeremiah and not liking what Jeremiah is saying about the the city, about the, the people, and about him as king. And so Zedekiah says, you know what? I need to imprison that guy. So you have Jeremiah telling him the truth, but yet Zedekiah is saying, I don't want to hear that. That's a message I take offense to. And so he imprisons Jeremiah, specifically in the court of the guard, the scripture tells us. And while Jeremiah was imprisoned, it's kind of interesting, by the way, when you look throughout church history and when you look at um, Jeremiah's life, even when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, isn't it fascinating how the Lord oftentimes will allow some of his most visible servants to be imprisoned, and yet how he continues to make use of them even in the midst of their imprisonment? You would think, like, the game's over at that point, right? You're imprisoned, you're stuck, there's nothing you could do. And yet the Lord does miraculous things even through people that experience that form of persecution. And I believe there are believers throughout the course of this world in very hostile places that right now could testify to that very thing. And here you have Jeremiah imprisoned. And while he's imprisoned, the scripture tells us that the Lord speaks to him again. The Lord gives him more information. The Lord gives him additional uh, content to deliver, to write down, to share. And you have the Lord reminding Jeremiah who he is, right? says, look, I'm the one who made the earth. I'm the one who formed it. I'm the one who established it. And I think that that's helpful to us when the Lord reminds us of the nature of who he is. Because basically in saying this, the Lord was reminding Jeremiah that he's like, look, Jeremiah, I have power that is greater than earthly rulers. I have power that is greater than the kings that persecute you or work against you. And so even though Jeremiah's situation obviously looked difficult here and his mobility was clearly limited because of this imprisonment, you have the Lord reminding Jeremiah that he personally remained powerful and that he remained sovereign over his creation. Basically saying, you know, he who spoke the earth into existence could certainly do something about Jeremiah's challenging circumstances. And again, I think that's something that we would all do well to remember in the midst of whatever circumstance we may find ourselves in. But when we look at the message that the Lord gave Jeremiah, One of the critically important reminders that he shared in these opening verses here is the importance of calling out to him in prayer. Invites Jeremiah, invites those that would read this to call out to him in prayer. But how do we typically handle our seasons of discouragement or our seasons of trial? 
I think a typical way that mankind in general responds to our trials is that we, you know, we try to make sense of them, right? Or we try and get out of them through reliance on our own wisdom and through reliance on our own natural talents. And yet that's not the counsel that the Lord gives Jeremiah in this difficult situation that he was in. What he he did encourage, encourage Jeremiah to do and what he encourages all of us ultimately to do is to be people who call out to him in prayer because he delights to answer the prayers of his people when they're offered up to him in faith. And as we seek his intervention, and as we seek his wisdom, you have the Lord speaking to Jeremiah and telling him that in that kind of context, he delights to make great and hidden things that we would never have naturally figured out ourselves. He likes to make those things known to his people. He likes to reveal these things. He likes to communicate these things so that we would understand his heart, his will, and his plan. Now, over time, and I'll I'll just mention this from just a a, a personal observation or a personal standpoint, but over time, I would say particularly in recent days as I've taken on some additional ministry responsibilities while at the same time my family's getting older, one of the things that I find myself praying regularly about during this season of life, actually there's two things I find myself praying regularly about during this season of my life that I'm asking the Lord essentially daily for help with. I've been asking the Lord a lot for wisdom. And I just want, I'm praying, Lord, give me wisdom on hand, how to handle this circumstance or that circumstance, or even, you know, give me wisdom on how to be a husband and father who honors you in the context of family life as you know, again, my family's getting older, you know, my children are, before you know it, going to be emerging from our home and and heading out into the world as they get older. And so I just pray for wisdom, how best to use the time that I still have left with them at home, how best to to be a dad, how best to counsel or encourage or or whatever it may be. I pray for wisdom in regard to um, just ministry uh, opportunities and things like that that I serve with and with our church. And I also pray that the Lord would give me fortitude to do whatever He asks me to do. Because there are a lot of times that I've recognized that it would be absolutely easier to not do what He's asked me to do. You know, there are things, uh, even in the past year, things that I had to deal with or confront. I was like, boy, it'd just be much easier to not deal with it. It'd be much easier to just let this be. But then you look at a portion of Scripture like this, And what does the Lord invite His people to do? He says, call to me. You know, don't hesitate to call out to me. He says, call, you know, call to me and I will answer you. Right? And I will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. That's how the Lord operates with those who trust in Him. I came across a quote recently. I love reading quotes from different historical people and different leaders throughout the centuries. This was a quote from Abraham Lincoln. Picture what Abraham Lincoln's day-to-day life was like. You know, can you imagine, you, you, you know, you've gone from serving in Congress to now being the chief executive of the United States during a season where there's civil war. And you're now the person who is effectively in charge of the armed forces of a nation. And Abraham Lincoln used to go to the Library of Congress and he would take books out all the time on military approach and military theory And he would just try and educate himself 
on how to be a good commander-in-chief, and he would bring counsel around him, and he would ask people for their opinions on all sorts of things, and he was trying the best that he could to lead well and get the, good, the best advice that he could get. But this is what he said in the midst of this. And, um, I mean, that, you know, he took a toll. He took a toll serving, his health took a toll serving in that capacity. But he said this, he says, I have been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Just imagine that. You know, you're trying to find books that have answers in the Library of Congress. You're trying to find advisors that could advise you in regard to all sorts of things. You're looking at all of these things, and, and he says, I've been driven to my knees many times by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. Nowhere else to go. I've exhausted every option I could think of. And he said, my own wisdom and that of all those who were around me seemed insufficient for that day. And here, what does the Lord tell us in regard to our walk with Him? He says, call to me and I will answer you. And sometimes I look at that and I think, how often in my life is that the last thing I get around to doing? Why is it that I eventually do that instead of beginning with that? In, even in Abraham Lincoln's life, you know, I wonder if he was ever like, why do I wait until I've exhausted every option? Then I come before the Lord in prayer. And I start there, and maybe I won't be so spent all the time, you know, I imagine he was thinking. But here, don't hesitate to call out to the Lord. It's one of the things that this chapter invites us to be people who do. And there's something else that as it, as it kind of develops from that, you know, when we pray to the Lord, what does he do? He, one of the things he blesses us with is wisdom, right? That's a gift that the Lord gives us. As you watch how this thought is developed in this chapter, a second piece of counsel that we can get from this chapter is this. Be wise and observe the lessons earlier generations chose to learn the hard way. Be wise and observe the lessons that earlier generations choose or chose to, to learn the hard way. Look at what it says in verses 4 and 5 about learning things the hard way. It says, For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath, for I have hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. So let's pause there. So again, in the era in which Jeremiah was serving, in the era in which he was doing ministry, and we've seen this all throughout the book of Jeremiah as we've been studying this, it was a very dark season among the southern kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah. It's a very dark season. The people had become very adept at giving off outward expressions of being religious, but yet their faith internally was paper thin. So they looked the part, but they didn't truly believe. And they cared more about being like the pagan nations that surrounded them than they cared about living as the chosen people of God that God had set apart. You know, He set them apart from the unbelieving nations of this world. And He looked at them and He said, You are my possession." You are my special possession. I set you apart from the other nations. And yet all they wanted to do was to live like the other nations in their paganism. And now the time had come for them to reap what they had sown. At the time that this was being written, they were being, they were being invaded by King Nebuchadnezzar in the kingdom of Babylon. That's what was taking place. They were being invaded. Their land was being invaded, and just as the Lord had revealed was going to happen to them ahead of time, these things were now being fulfilled. 
And so in desperation, and you have this referenced here in these verses, but in desperation, what they were doing was they were tearing down beautiful buildings in their city, and they were trying to use the, the, the materials from those buildings for military efforts. They were trying to block the advances of the Babylonians. They were trying to tear down these beautiful structures and use them for military defense. And effectively, their efforts were futile because God had already de- declared the, the chastisement that he uh, was bringing upon them and the invasion of this city was his will for that particular season of the people of Judah. And he was going to use this experience, and he was also going to use the 70 years that the people of Judah would spend in captivity in Babylon uh, to strip them of their idolatry and to teach them what really mattered, namely, following him instead of following the false gods of this world. So he was going to strip down all their idols from them, take them as captives, and then it was going to be their children and grandchildren that were allowed to return to Judah and live there and worship the Lord with sincerity. And when we look at uh, historical events like this and see how they play out, again, we can learn something quite valuable. We've been given the privilege to gain wisdom by observing the mistakes of those who came before us so we don't repeat those same mistakes in our own lives. These were people that were crafting this religious image and making themselves look good, but deep down their hearts were far from the Lord. And when the Lord would speak, they would basically say, Lord, we hear you and ignore you because you're telling us something we don't want to hear. So the Lord would communicate to them and they would go their own direction. And as a result, they reap the consequences of that. And we have the privilege to be able to look at a portion of scripture like this and recognize, okay, so wait, there are consequences if I choose to go my own way and ignore the Lord's voice over the course of my life? Yes, of course there are consequences, natural consequences and spiritual consequences. And we could grow wise by observing these lessons that the Lord was teaching the people of Judah so that we didn't repeat this pattern afterward or in our own lives. Learning things the hard way, though, is oftentimes um, what happens in life, isn't it? I mean, how many lessons did you learn the easy way and how many did you learn the hard way? You know, when I ask that question in my own life, I'm like, how many things did I learn the easy way? How many lessons did I learn the hard way? My Daniel, the Monopoly wizard uh, who uh, dominated his family and it didn't bother his conscience whatsoever to make us all go bankrupt, he just got his first job. Ask his permission to share this with you. And he said, yeah, you could share it. And he said, like, he knows my deal. He's like, sometimes you share things anonymously if you don't uh, have our permission or don't. He's like, you could even use my name for this, Dad. It's okay. So I have his permission to share this and to use his name. But he just started his first job. He works at Chick-fil-A along with his two older siblings. So basically, the entire staff at the Neshaminy Chick-fil-A will eventually be, uh, it, I mean, like you could just assume, there'll just be one name tag. It's just going to be our last name, right? It's just going to say Stangi, and it'll just be shared by everyone that works there, I think, eventually. Um, but he just started working there a few weeks ago, and one of the things that they asked him to do, obviously a fast food restaurant generates a lot of trash, and so they asked him if he would take it out to the dumpster, and so he was bagging up the trash and putting it on a cart and bringing it all out. And unfortunately, he had a lesson that he had to learn the hard way in uh, one of the early times in doing that. One of the bags, apparently, had a slit in it that he didn't see. And as he was bringing these things out, he brought everything into the entryway, 
in that bag full of trash and full of half-finished drinks, too, right? You know, people were like, ah, I can't finish this large lemonade. I'll just throw all the liquid right in the trash, right? Um, the bag was split. I, either he didn't see it or didn't check that area, but it was split. And as he's carrying this stuff out in the entryway, the thing ripped open and just dumped everywhere. Everywhere. Loads and loads of wet trash everywhere. And he's looking at it, and he's got his hand on his head, and he's thinking, oh no, like, what is the solution? I'm the new guy here. What do you do with this? And uh, he told me, he always has funny stories when he comes home from work, and this was one of the first ones. But he said, yeah, right as I did that, an older couple came in and looked at me, and the guy said, well, looks like you're having a tough day, aren't you, son? You know, like, it's like, yep, I'm having a tough day. Um, and so they got that cleaned up. They had to mop everything up and prevent people from walking through all that trash till they got it all squared away. And then the other day he was telling me, he said, Dad, I had to learn another lesson the hard way. And I was like, uh-oh, what's this one? He said, I had the opportunity to use the ice cream machine for the first time. So I was like, really? And he said, uh, he said somebody had asked for ice cream. And I don't know if you've ever served soft-serve ice cream, but there's... You, that's something you got to there's some muscle memory you got to develop to be able to actually serve you know ice cream the right way and he said you know what no one ever showed me how to do it but he's like I've seen it done enough times so I just I did it and served it and he said effectively and I'm I'm paraphrasing here it's like not the prettiest ice cream that was ever served from that establishment <laughs> like the, and I guess the as he handed it to the people they kind of looked at it and they were like and I guess somebody there said, um, you know what, let, let me show you how this machine works. Let's reserve them their ice cream. But it's funny, and I appreciate him being willing to share that, because the truth is, a lot of times um, in life, lessons that stick in our head are things that we have to learn the hard way, right? You know, how to serve an ice cream, how to, how to check for slits in bags of trash so that they dump all over, and way bigger things than that, Right? I mean, those are, the truth is, in the scheme of life, those are just inconveniences. You know, there are major heart-wrenching things that I have had to learn the hard way. Things that I was counseled with. You know, things that other people advised me. Hey, don't go in this direction with your life, or don't make this decision. And what happens? It's like, you know what, somehow I think I know better, right? And over time, what happens? We make decisions, and sometimes we listen to counsel and wisdom, and other times we learn lessons the hard way. And when I look at a portion of Scripture like this, one of the big things that I think that the Lord wants us to take from a passage of Scripture like this is for us to look at the experience of the people of Judah and not repeat their error. Not go through life with hearts that are so hard toward God that we just stop listening to His voice and stop moving in the directions that He wants us to move or acting in the ways that He wants us to act or even saying the things that He wants us to say. You know, we, we want to be people who, if the Lord says something, we simply say yes and we leave the rest of the details up to Him. We don't have to know every last detail ahead of time. We just need to be obedient. And here in this context, you have a group of people who are making themselves look obedient, but deep down inside, they were going their own direction. And as a result, there were lessons they had to learn the hard way. Wisdom, in, in many contexts, is when we could take something like this and say, all right, I don't have to repeat the errors of those who came before me. I could observe what they did and choose to go in another direction. And as the Lord shows us what He has in store, I think it's wise counsel to also look back and learn from the mistakes of others. But now, again, the whole point of this is we're talking about this and looking at this point of Scripture, 
is the Lord showing us things that he's about to do, not just things he's already done, but he's also showing us things he's about to do. And as he shows us things that he's about to do, it's important that we remain hopeful toward the future. Look at what it says in verse 6 down to verse 8. It says, Behold, I will bring to it, so he's speaking of the city and the people living in the city of Jerusalem. He says, Behold, I will bring to it health and healing. And I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they, excuse me, and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. So I'm grateful that, you know, even in the midst of a book like Jeremiah, where you have the Lord spending considerable periods of time confronting sin, that he also gives us glimpses of the ultimate work that he desires to accomplish. And when we look at these verses here, you have in this portion of Scripture teaching that we can remain hopeful toward the future, because in spite of the errors of humanity, the Lord makes it abundantly clear that he has a great future in store for his people. And so as he's revealing these things to Jeremiah, the Lord reveals that he was going to bring health, he was going to bring healing to his people. Uh, Again, people who at this point in time were suffering under the weight and the consequences of going their own way. They were currently living in poverty. They were currently living with insecurity, great insecurity. But in his time, the Lord was saying here that he would bring his people an abundance of prosperity, and he would bring them ultimate security. The nation would be rebuilt. The people would be cleansed. The people would be forgiven of their sins. This was a glimpse of the future that the Lord was about to accomplish. And again, these verses that speak of all of these things, once again, are seeking to point your heart and my heart to the ultimate reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. Scripture makes it clear when you go throughout all the Scriptures, Scripture makes it abundantly clear that through faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, our sin is completely forgiven. Scripture tells us that through faith in Jesus Christ, We are cleansed of our unrighteousness. We are welcomed into His eternal kingdom. And as people who are welcomed into His eternal kingdom, there are certain promises that He's made for us and to us regarding our future that will not be changed. He tells us that in His kingdom, ultimately, He's going to cause us to prosper. He's going to cause us to experience security. We have that to look forward to when He eventually reigns on this earth. Now, the Lord also knows that we seek these things here and now, right? It's not, it's not uh, surprising to recognize that, you know, that each of us would seek different forms of prosperity here and now, or that each of us would seek uh, various forms of security right here and now. I mean, when you look at your house, what do you, you know, when you're looking around your home, what are you trying to do? What's one of the most profitable industries right now? the security industry, right? Different ways to put cameras and all sorts of things around your home that notify your smartphone and all of that. And, you know, in regard to our finances, I check up on my my retirement plans and my personal finances, uh, like, constantly throughout the course of the week. I always check up on that stuff. I always want to know how that stuff is doing. And so inside of us, even right now, we're kind of looking at, or the price of gas, right? You know, it's like every time the price of gas goes up, I'm like, oh, no, like, 
I have to do a lot of driving some days. I don't want the price of gas to go up. So we care about things like prosperity and security right here and now. But the Lord promises us a future kingdom where those things are ultimately taken care of by Him. He knows that we seek these things now. He's not ignorant of our present day needs. But He also knows this, and He reveals this to us throughout the course of Scripture, that the treasures of this present age, the things that my heart and your heart are likely to seek, these things are like rubbish compared to the treasure of Jesus Christ and the presence of His kingdom in our lives. I remember when I was growing up, uh, my church gave me a Bible when I was 10 years old. And then, uh, I think it was the next year, right after that, our pastor retired. And uh, I asked him to sign my Bible on his last Sunday. I said, could you sign my Bible? And he's like, he looked at me kind of funny, like, why do you want me to sign your Bible? Uh, I was like, well, you know, I just I have something to kind of remember you by. I don't know if I'm going to be seeing you you know, again, or, or, or anything like that. He's like, but you know, I didn't write that, right? Like, this isn't like, I didn't, I didn't write that thing. You know, it's like, and, you know, work by Pastor so-and-so, right? He's like, all right, I'll sign your Bible. But this is what he did. He signed his name, and then he put a Bible reference underneath it, knowing that I was likely to find what the reference was and read it. And this is what he wrote, the reference to these verses. Matthew, it actually just says Matthew 6.33, but for context, I want to read verse 31 to 33. And those verses say this, Jesus, in speaking to the people, said, as part of his Sermon on the Mount, he said, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God, and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And when you look here in the book of Jeremiah, what's the Lord revealing to Jeremiah to tell to the people? It's that same exact thing, isn't it? That ultimately the Lord in His kingdom will supply what we need most. And we need the righteousness of Christ. We need the righteousness of Christ. The other things will all fall in line, the Scripture assures us. It's all going to work out for those who know Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, we need His righteousness. How do we obtain His righteousness? By trusting in Him. We trust in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, at that moment, we now have what we need most. And here you have the people of Judah. At this point, they're being taken captive. And the ideas of of prosperity and security, you know, they're tearing down their homes. They're tearing down buildings. Their fields are being destroyed. They're being taken as slaves to another land. Ideas of prosperity and security seem far from them. And yet the Lord was saying, no, those are things that ultimately, for those who trust in me, they're going to experience this forever. And here you have Jesus reiterating that. He's like, look, you know, I know what you need daily. I know the things that you need, but seek the righteousness that I supply, Christ invites us to do. And all the other details will come together too. Even if our present circumstances are not what we would prefer, what's this scripture encouraging us to do? It's encouraging us to remain hopeful toward the future for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's one last thing that this scripture brings out that I want to mention today. And that's simply walk before the Lord with reverence and respect. Verse 9 is where we're finishing today. And it says this, 
And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory. So again, he's speaking of the future. A praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. So again, as we wind down our look at this portion of Scripture, we're shown even more about what the Lord has in store for the city of Jerusalem, for the people of Judah, and for all who will eventually trust in Him. When Jesus Christ returns to this earth to rule and to reign upon this earth, the city of Jerusalem will serve as a visible testimony to the goodness of God. And again, you have this passage being written during a time of judgment when neighboring nations would have looked at the city of Jerusalem and would have considered that area as being cursed by God because of all the calamity that they were dealing with. But it tells us that a day will come when all the world will hear about all the good that God has done for His people and they will respect Him for it. And if your faith, by the way, is in Jesus Christ, you will personally see and you will personally experience that day. You'll see it with your own eyes. We look forward to it by faith right now, but there'll be a day when we see it with our own eyes. Now, right now, it's obvious that this world is not in a spot of reverence and respect toward the Lord, like this portion of Scripture describes things in the future being. Humanity right now is too wrapped up with itself to to ultimately value what the Lord's doing or to care about what the Lord intends to do in coming years. But even though... The world that we live in and the culture that surrounds us clearly struggles to revere or respect the Lord. We who have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ should be the first to demonstrate our reverence and our respect toward Him. Your life and my life should display that in every context that He places us in. I was reading something about President Harry Truman recently. President Truman, every morning, would have a meeting with his staff, and this would be about 8.30 in the morning. I, don't, I know you didn't come to church this morning to hear presidential trivia, but apparently that's where we're going today, right? Um, but 8.30 every morning, you get together with the staff, and one day, while he was gathered together there with the staff, the person who would deliver the mail that was important came in and handed President Truman an interesting-looking envelope. And from what I understand, the thing was lavender, looked really fancy. It had beautiful ribbon coming off of it. And President Truman looked at this thing, and he's like, all right, this is fascinating, and it must be important for the mail person to deliver this to me personally right now. So he opens it up with the staff, and he looks at it, and he reads it, and it's from King Ibn Saud of Saudi Arabia. And the letter was addressed to His Magnificence. And Truman, if you know anything about Truman, Truman grew up on a farm and did not grow up being called His Magnificence. And he looked at the thing and he started cracking up in front of his staff and he read it out loud and he's like, His Magnificence. And he looked at them and he said, listen, I don't know what you guys call me when I'm not around. I doubt that it's His Magnificence. But if you want to start using that phrase, you're welcome to. And so they got a good laugh out of it. Not long after that, Truman sent word to the United Nations. And he said, I personally support... 100,000 Jews being given safe passage and entrance into Palestine where they can live permanently. Now, that wasn't something that uh, the king of Saudi Arabia was interested in. And so later on, Truman received another letter from uh, the king of Saudi Arabia. And instead of starting off with his magnificence or your magnificence, um, it simply said, Mr. President. You know, just like, Mr. President, like, 
you know, uh, just straight to the point. You know, no more reverence, no more respect. The Lord calls us as we interact with Him, as we live our life in this world, to be people who revere and respect Him. And He reminds us that there will be a day when the whole world is ultimately going to do that. Can we see what the Lord's about to do? You know, when you look at a portion of Scripture like this, He's revealing to us specifically things that He's about to do. He shows us a glimpse of the future. Isn't that fascinating? We're shown exactly what's going to happen. What the ultimate outcome for this world is going to be. It's a future of forgiveness and restoration for the people of Judah, for the people of Israel, and for all who will truly trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. In fact, and this is where we'll end today, later on in this chapter... It makes reference to Jesus. It speaks of Him as the righteous branch of David who's going to come. I'll just show you the verse real quick as we end. Jeremiah 33, 15, it says, In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Again, speaking of future things that the Lord has guaranteed will come to pass. Is that a future that you are confident will also be yours? If you have trusted in Christ, if Christ truly is your Lord, if your faith in Christ is genuine, you can be absolutely certain that that future that's described in this passage will be something that you not only see by faith now, but the day will come when you will see that with your own eyes and you will experience that as your reality forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank You so much for Your Word. And thank You for the privilege that it is to be able to look at a passage of Scripture like this and to see things regarding the future that You have promised You're about to do. And Lord, these aren't maybes. These aren't just a list of possibilities that have a whole string of conditions attached to them. These are promises that are anchored in Your own character. These are promises that you have assured that you're going to fulfill. So Lord, when we speak of having hope in you, we're not talking about wishes and we're not talking about maybes. We're talking about things that you have spoken of as absolute certainties that we can bank on with complete confidence and complete reliance. And Lord, as Jeremiah's confidence in you had grown throughout the course of his life, as you developed his faith, as you helped him to mature, as you helped him to walk with you even in the midst of difficult seasons, we pray, Lord, that you would do the very same thing for us, that we would be people who go through our day-to-day lives convinced of what you're about to do, able to see the things that you're promising that you're going to do. Lord, seeing them now by faith, recognizing that there will come a day when we will see these things with our own eyes when you will return to this earth, when you will reign on this earth, when you will ultimately complete your work of cleansing your creation of sin. And you'll bring restoration that will not be interrupted, will not be confounded, will not be destroyed. Lord, that's the future that you have promised us is coming. So Lord, I don't know what we're dealing with right now. You know the variety of things that are on our minds and hearts. There are certainly things that each of us could probably list that cause us to feel anxious or things that we just deal with just our own personal insecurities about. Whatever those things may be, Lord, we pray that we would submit them over to you and that you would help us to approach each and every day with confidence toward the future because of what you've assured us in your word. 
that you're going to accomplish. Lord, help us to be hopeful people because of who you have made us to be in your Son, Jesus Christ, through faith in him. Lord, thank you again for these reminders from your word today. We just want to commit this day and commit our lives to you, Lord, and we ask that you would work in us and through us that your name would be glorified. We pray this all in Jesus' name.